Look, one of the most time-honored traditions in the world of sports is playing up the no-one-thought-we-could-do-it angle. Because everybody finds a way to incorporate that in some level of motivation. And then there are times where you're just sitting there having to roll your eyes at what you actually get. Because we've seen this so often in sports where it's really just fabricating a way to generate motivation. But it doesn't mean you can't find some value out of what happens even in a situation where you may be left rolling your eyes as a fan. Revert back to the Super Bowl. Philadelphia loses to the Kansas City Chiefs, who entered the season as the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl, entered the playoffs as the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl, because they have the best quarterback in the game and the best coach in the game. Well, you might be able to put Bill Belichick in there, but clearly the best quarterback-coach combination in the game and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. That yes, they may have lost pieces like Tyreek Hill. Yes, their defense was questionable at times in Kansas City. But this was the eye-rolling moment after that victory. I'm sorry to my language. I'm sorry to my language. Hey, get this man right here. I know you're emotional. Man, one of y'all said the Chiefs were going to take it home this year. Not a single one. Feel that. Feel it. And on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. Yes, because nobody respected the Chiefs quite like the odds makers out in Vegas and the many fans who bet on Kansas City. You're not even picking the best example in this. What's the best example? Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs player, players saying they would go, that people were saying they would go seven and six this year. Yes, that's oh, the best example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> that, that is like, a great. Some one. people actually didn't pick the Chiefs. Or like, like there was actually like people out there saying the Chiefs weren't going to do well. Like, like th- I'm not saying everyone, but like that wasn't as bad as like a Georgia Bulldog player. I think it was Jordan Davis. He was there. Jordan Davis or. Um, Dolan Smith, now Philadelphia Eagles, saying everyone thought we'd go seven and six this year, and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's what they thought of Georgia, who was the clear national champion favorites and was returning, you know, you know, was the majority Georgia, of their talent was Georgia." Well, that's the other part, and that's a great example, Trey, about just the comedy of this from athletes and performers, and we bring it up today in the fast lane. There's a reason for this. If you watch the race last night, more on why it needed to be at night versus in the daytime later on this week in the fast lane. We may get into the weeds and just clean out the NASCAR notebook Tuesday or Wednesday. But it was comical because Ross Chastain, deserving winner yesterday, he had one of the best cars all day. He had a top five car and spent time in the lead along with Martin Truex Jr. Kyle Busch was kind of a factor at points, but had the early issues. Tyler Reddick was on the other end. He had uh, early success, but the tire issue sent him out and he never had a chance to recover from it. But then Ross Chastain afterwards about this victory being for all of the doubters. This is why every little kid out there, anywhere in the world, when you get criticized and you're going to, if you're competitive, they will try to tear you down. You will start believing them. You can't do it. You have to go to your people, trust in the process, read your books, Trust the, the big Your man's playing upstairs words. and just keep getting up and going to work. I got to tell you, a lot of uh, a lot of self-reflection through all of this, but I had a group that believed in me and they didn't let me get down. 
and they bring rocket ships and I just try to point them to victory lane. I mean, it's comical. Well, yes, obviously Ross Chastain has always played the chip on your shoulder card for an eternity. And frankly, plenty of great performers and athletes can do it. I'll go, I'll go nerd out for a second here. A tennis fan, Novak Djokovic, I think he's the best men's tennis player of all time. You could argue Federer and Nadal. Djokovic has passed them for Grand Slam championships, and there could be more in the future, but don't want to get too carried away for ourselves. Yes, there may be something riding on that. He always plays the disrespect card. Like, he comes up with things during matches to feel like he's being disrespected to channel some extra gear and level. Michael Jordan was great at this. And I People, took that personally. Uh, no doubt. You know, obviously, Trey, it was designed to be a jab at you with the Michael Jordan reference. No, jokes aside about that, most great performers take that. Ross Chastain, for all the doubters out there, who's doubting him? People have doubted, like, his common sense in terms of knowing when to race hard. Well, He has gone over a year without winning, but I don't think people doubted him the way he maybe thinks he did. But don't ever underestimate the power of the doubt monster being a motivating factor for a competitor. Again, I don't know if we doubted Ross Chastain, but the yearless win thing was becoming a topic with the way he had competitive cars. Because... He had cars able to win consistently over the last year, and he, he hasn't been able to turn those into wins. And, you know, in this sport, you never know when, you know, just with a team like Trackhouse, historically, it's hard to break through that kind of final level of becoming an elite team in terms of a Penske, a Gibbs, a Hendrick, where they're consistent year in, year out. We haven't seen that from Trackhouse yet. This is year two of it, and they've been solid um, of it, so we'll see, see where that goes. But my point being, over the last month, ever since Darlington, Ross has not had the speed that he had earlier in the year. Granted, it showed back up in Nashville, but there was some doubt of did a conversation between Justin Marks and Ross Chastain where it, I think it got where, you know, Justin was like, hey man, like you can't do this. And that was the wreck of Kyle Larson late in Darlington was, I guess, now construed as, hey, you just can't take us out of a chance to win. Now, hey, you need to be more careful in the racetrack. And he did struggle the last three weeks. Um, you, you think about Sonoma, it, you know, you want to look at uh, Charlotte, uh, a mile and a half, where track has shown speed. He showed a little bit of speed, but not really. Sonoma, they won that race last year, and Ross was really good there. They were non-competitive at all in that race. And um, St. Louis, they were... They weren't really in it there. So um, it, it was a little bit concerning that it, it seemed, especially because the way the reaction post Darlington was with Rick Hendrick saying, like, you know, really taking a shot across the bow to Trekhouse. But I think this win was important for him. It kind of was like he it, it showed the team still had speed. So, so no doubt about that point. And it was on a couple of fronts. And we'll get to that momentarily because I, I do think you bring up a really good point. But the other point about Ross Chastain, and, and to wrap this one up, the nobody believed in me. I, look, I don't think people doubted he's a really good race car driver. Over the last year and a half, he has been the better of the two drivers at Trackhouse to Daniel Suarez, who almost won at California last year and did win at Sonoma, but for the most part, has not consistently run near the front. Chastain has at least been in contention. He is a, a player or a driver that was going to make the playoffs barring an epic collapse or you know unforeseen missed races 
he was going to make it on points into the playoffs. Now he's got the win, so he's locked himself in that way, but he was going to make it in. It was a doubt of whether or not he could race aggressively, but intelligently, and knowing when to do it. I think that was the big concern people had. That's a good way to put it. Well, and highlight this. Listen to the commentary. And I love, by the way, how NBC is using Jeff Burton and Dale Earnhardt Jr. with Steve LaTart. And Rick Allen does a phenomenal job of letting those three personalities shine during a broadcast. But listen to this description of an early race battle between three of the cars that were near the front for much of the day. William Byron, the Liberty University car, and of course, Martin Truex Jr. and Ross Chastain. William Byron fighting back in the middle. Still three wide. Finally, Truex backs out, but back to the throttle to the inside. Three wide for fourth, fourth fifth, sixth. Yeah. That's Christopher Bell in the 20 that's holding on to fourth right now, but still the fight for the top position. So important right now for the spotters to be reminding them you're three wide, whether on the top, the middle, or the bottom. You have to give each other room, especially old corner entry. Still middle. No one giving an inch. Back of the 19 now. Back of the 19, coming back <laughs> this to you. This is crazy. Got to be you with the one entry. Did you hear that? They referenced the one at the end. Obviously, they're talking about the 19 of Martin Truex Jr. and the 24 of William Byron, the Liberty University car, during that NBC broadcast clip we played from early in the race. Emphasis on early in the race. That's not the time to be wrecking people. Aggressive, hard, hold your position, be charging, give fans thrilling action. Ross Chastain showed he could do that yesterday. So it's not like it's ever been not there. It's a matter of using some common sense of knowing when to be aggressive and when to race hard, fair, but hard. And yes, maybe you get a little bit more aggressive with the chrome horn, but you don't do it in the early portion of the race in stage one, which is, you know, for folks that are non-NASCAR fans, like the first third of the race, know when to do it. I mean, there's a level of common sense that goes into it. That's the part that people had doubted. Now, to your point about the victory, because and why it is important for Ross Chastain, you know, we did an InsaneRadioDeals.com fast take on this uh, today, And I don't dispute the importance of the victory, Trey. We compared it to Chase Elliott on the InsaneRadioDeals.com fast take. And no doubt, because Elliott is also entering this weekend. And Elliott, by the way, second straight top five run. It looks like he's starting to get things together himself in the summer months. Hasn't found victory lane the way Chastain has, but it looks like things are coming together for him. But there are a number of reasons why this is more important for Ross Chastain. I mean, we outlined him in the fast take, but there's a reason for this. Ross Chastain does not have an NASCAR Cup Series championship. Chase Elliott does. Ross Chastain has not proven that he can win season after season after season. Chase Elliott has. He's won in multiple seasons consecutively in NASCAR's Cup Series up until this point in 2023. Organization and just the benefit of the doubt. Ross Chastain, Trackhouse Racing. By and large, they've got, what, year and a half, two years of showing they can be a competitive team and a contender for victories regularly in NASCAR's top series. Hendrick Motorsports is like the New York Yankees of NASCAR. Multiple championships. Multiple drivers who've won multiple championships. They've continued to put that together. Heck, two of their four drivers right now have won championships in Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson. They're, they're clearly the gold standard. And then, of course, there there is the popularity element and some of the vilification that comes toward Ross Chastain is his own doing. Chase Elliott, you could argue, has done some negative things himself, but he's the popular driver in NASCAR and fan is short for fanatical, so often fans forget that convenient detail, as you would expect. But you put all that together, Trey, I think you're right. This was an important victory for Ross Chastain in the one. And it was an important victory for Trackhouse Racing because 
while most people believe they are now one of the top three Chevrolet organizations, along with Richard Childress Racing, Kyle Busch gives them legitimacy even more than ever. Uh, and then obviously Hendrick Motorsports for the reasons we outlined a moment ago. But in the Chevrolet camp, absolutely. You know, Penske for Ford, Stuart Haas Racing, they've struggled lately, but uh, they've got it, at least until Kevin Harvick is done this year. They get the benefit of the doubt. And then in Toyota, we've seen success with 2311. Joe Gibbs Racing, again, multi-championship winning organization. They get the benefit of the doubt. We'll wait and see on Legacy Motor Club when they join that group next year. But uh, there's a difference between having consistent proven results and not having those. And Trackhouse kind of feels like they're trying to break through for that, but they're just not quite there yet. So for the driver himself, for the driver's importance to the team, for the team themselves, I I think you're absolutely spot on, Trey. This was an important win for all those reasons for Ross Chastain yesterday at Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think Chase probably needs to win more because I would argue that Ross is making the playoffs and Chase isn't. And I would argue, despite the, I would argue that Chase Elliott not making the playoffs is more disappointing than Ross not getting a win this year. And I would say that it, uh, Chase Elliott not making the playoffs is more self-inflicted because I would argue the suspension post Charlotte is more and not having that race to gain points could be more damning than him missing those races due to injury. So it's just due to injury, and then he missed time. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, no, no, the injury is, uh, while he can control what he does away from the track, him, like By him getting suspended, I think it he, eliminated the excuse of the injury, if that makes sense. No, 100%, because we've seen this before. Denny Hamlin, what, toward ACL playing basketball, I believe. I don't think he missed time I mean, for that. Kyle Busch literally broke his leg and made the playoffs yeah, I mean, and, and won the championship. And he missed time. But all those could be deemed either things that happen during sports or things that happen away from the game but are relatively responsible. But with, You're literally responsible for not being an aggressive driver the way Chase Elliott is, and he was, and it cost him a race, and that is the type of thing that if he doesn't win – could back, could create backlash for him. So it, it, it's roughly what he twenty races, right? He he would do this year. He yes. missed he missed six. Correct. So if he can't get a win in twenty races, um, and he can't earn enough points to make a playoff in twenty races, then because uh, he's what he's eighty one points out, he has to gain like seven point four points on the cut line per race or something. It's something weird like that. Whatever. I, I think it, it would be more damning if he doesn't make the playoffs. Um, and this will become more of a, do- a topic on the Happy Hour podcast, um, you know, as we get closer to the playoffs. Uh, for front, check that out on frontstretch.com or wherever you get podcasts. Also, the Fast Lane with Ed Lane podcast. I'll plug both for us today. Um, but I, I think for Ross, this was just kind of, I think this was the first time where. Ross's speed was questioned, if that makes sense. Not Ross, like since he's gotten into a top in car, it wasn't Ross's. Like the debate about Ross this past month was not Ross wrecking or Ross being too aggressive. It was oh, has 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 Ross now gone too far where he is now going to lose speed. And getting that speed, getting the pole, and then winning the race, and having this kind of perfect weekend, kind of, you know, made a statement of like this was the first true, you know, test for him, and he he, he passed it with flying colors. Well, I mean, he he had, he won the pole. He led a good chunk of the race. He was not the only dominant car 
for this race, the only contender. We mentioned William Byron, Martin Truex Jr. It seemed like the one in the 19. But, one, 19, yeah. and maybe the 11. I mean, those those were the groupings that were in there. And you, know, you could have foreseen a scenario where other drivers could have won. But yes, you're right, Trey, in that regard um, about the importance and the value of that. Speaking of the importance, it's important for you to make sure your lawn looks as good as possible. And the place to go do that is Overstreet Ace Hardware because they've got ego-powered, battery-powered, mowers, blowers and string trimmers all in stock they've got the service you deserve and of course they've also got steel tools like chainsaws blowers and weed eaters if you prefer that brand manufactured from the steel plant in virginia overstreet ace hardware they are central virginia's largest steel dealer and if you've got a plumbing electrical or lawn and garden question the staff at overstreet ace hardware they're not just people they hired because they filled out the job application and they needed a warm body no, they're people that know about the product and make sure the product is something that could fit for what you want out of your home, what you're looking for, commercial, residential, big lawn, little lawn. They've got all those nuanced things taken care of at Overstreet Ace Hardware, either location, Lakeside Drive in Lynchburg and 221 in Forest, so that you can be equipped to make sure your lawn looks as good as possible. See, with the rain this past weekend and really over the last week, your lawn is starting to grow again. That means it's time to contact Overstreet Ace Hardware. Now, other topics in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. Well, we had to do this, and that is... Josh Harris, owner of the Washington Commanders, or soon, soon to be, be owner of the Washington Commanders. D- don't jinx it, Ed. For Commanders fans, they certainly hope that's not the case. He and Joe Gibbs have basically agreed to a swap of minority interests in their organization. Harris saying that, uh, you know, Harris obtaining, excuse me, a minority stake in Joe Gibbs Racing through Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Meanwhile, Gibbs getting a minority stake in the Washington Commanders. From Gibbs' interest in the Commanders, it's obvious. And it's the Sixers another... and the Devils. Just want to throw that in there. But the Commanders part is the most notable of Joe Gibbs because Obviously. it's a goodwill gesture. Obviously. And he's got ties to the franchise. But don't underscore the other side because Joe Gibbs has said he will only sell a minority interest, and in, here's the key word here, intends to keep the business and the family their way off from having a viable succession plan within the family for Joe Gibbs Racing, it would appear. So, if Joe Gibbs were to decide to sell sooner rather than later or for circumstances were to force that sale, Josh Harris and Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment venturing into NASCAR could make a lot of sense. Now, if Joe Gibbs Racing wants to show what Ty Gibbs is like and uh, give him an idea of how it's like to own an organization, and yeah, we may be 15 to 20 years away from that happening because you're looking at Denny Hamlin, who's in his late 30s, early 40s, when he starts entering the ownership foray, and we're probably 15 to 20 years away from Ty Gibbs reaching that point. But that's the most likely succession plan, but it's far off, which is why I would not underscore the potential that Josh Harris at some point, if Gibbs wants to dip out sooner than later, and Ty Gibbs is not ready to take over for Joe Gibbs after the tragic passing of his sons, J.D. Gibbs, with the uh, brain issue, and then obviously Coy Gibbs through the unfortunate tragedy that happened right before last year's cup finale in Phoenix at the end of the year. All of that says that Joe Gibbs may not intend to sell the business out of the family, but intent versus reality are different things. J.D.'s son is also with the team. Uh, He's a little... I know he's older than Ty. I know Ty's like the youngest of the sons 
of that group. And, so. and, and I cannot begin to tell you the knowledge of what interest JD's son would have. Or he, how well he's, on a, he he's, on, he's on the pit crew for the 20. Correct. But I mean, I don't know if he's interested in having an ownership stake or not, or if that's a route that he has decided to venture down. Or maybe that's something that's piqued his interest more now, given the tragedies to JD Gibbs and then most recently, Coy Gibbs. But it does bear watching, and there is the commander's anger that we'll get to a little bit later on with Candy Waller of Seawall Sports and Entertainment. Speaking of commanders, number four, the Washington Commanders and the potential sale of that franchise could take place July 20th. The NFL has targeted that date as a vote on the commander's sale. They have called a special league meeting to make that the target date for final approval of Josh Harris and Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment purchasing that franchise. Look, we say this with NFL rules and decisions all the time. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, is not calling a special vote and inconveniencing people at the very end of their summer, right before training camp begins, when they may be getting their last days of rest and relaxation. If you don't know what's already about to happen, you know what the results are. If you're going to call the vote, that's why you do it. If you're the National Football League, there's an obvious tie-in to that. Number three. Speaking of the Washington Commanders, once again, they will not be returning to Richmond for training camp. Um, I know fans of the Richmond area are upset by this. I love the old school idea of going away to training camp. But the reality is, is most of these organizations have decided to hold it in-house. Logistically, it's easier. They have to bring their entire setup of equipment, medical staffing abilities, everything else to whatever the training camp site is. And while it's cool to have it in rural areas, let's be honest, they're not all that well equipped in a lot of cases to have everything in one centralized location. Wait, Richmond's not in a rural... Where they had it in Richmond's not a rural area. I just want to throw that in there. It's in the middle of the city. Thank you for that perspective. I'm talking about the general trend of NFL Or college campuses. Like, I know uh, Lehigh used to hold the Eagles training camp. Southwest... Southeast Missouri State is where Kansas City would have it. Um, so just a couple examples. That, that's that's exactly what I was going to say, Trey. You're right. Commanders, a little bit different because they're in metropolitan Richmond area, if that's the right word to use. It. It's next in, to the Science Museum. Great museum, by the way. Love it. Can't wait to take my kids there in a few years. But while the Commanders not returning to Richmond is sad for those that like nostalgia, this is a trend that has been carrying itself plentifully in the world of NASCAR. Number two. Jaron Stevenson, the target that Virginia hoped would commit to them. Instead, the 6'10 forward from North Carolina spurns North Carolina and goes to Alabama. Let's be honest, this seems to have NIL written all over it. And JerryRatcliffe.com founder Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe will join us in a couple of moments to shed his two cents on this particular subject along with other news and nuggets that might come out. But you're talking about a guy that goes to Alabama they are obviously equipped in the NIL game. There were folks that speculated that this past grouping with Brandon Miller, along with Clowney and the others, had over $3 million invested in name, image, and likeness. North Carolina probably could play that game. They went over a million bucks with Armando Baycott, who's back. Um, but you're not getting that very often, and certainly not at a place like Virginia, where there are NIL opportunities, but that is not part of their primary pitch. And there is the other factor that a lot of people think Stevenson has his eyes on the NBA, getting there as quickly as possible. Hubert Davis at North Carolina, and certainly Tony Bennett at Virginia, they've had guys that have left early for the NBA, and I think you welcome that if you're either of those schools, but it's really hard to win a championship with a predominantly one-and-done grouping, and if you're a player, and Stevenson may fit that category, who views himself as a one-and-done, you're like 
likely to go the route of places that can get you to the league, even though it may not be something that produces winning. And yes, I get how fans want to have that type of player at Virginia. Someone of that elite basketball talent right out of high school. Never mind that like Ryan Dunn may have that in this coming year. Uh, and that we've seen it before with DeAndre Hunter and Kyle, Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome blossoming into that. But remember, it's very difficult to win a championship with one and done talent. And unless they underperform and stick around for year two, you're probably not getting them for that second year. So while you may get the tantalizing upside, it would have been like having Ryan done this past year, and that's it. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. So Richie McKay kind of hinted at this last week when he was with us in the Fast Lane. That um, in the interviews up Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts. But that Darius McGee may have had an idea of where he was going to go when the NBA draft wrapped up on Thursday evening. I guess technically Friday morning because it lasted into the early morning hours. He's going to the Indiana Pacers in the summer league. That's the most notable out of these movements. Uh, Kia Clark getting a summer league invite. I love that for him. I don't think he'll stick around. I think clearly he doesn't have the same shooting ability that McGee has. And I have my doubts about McGee just being shorter as well. But getting to the league, if nothing else, you get more confirmation that you got the invite and it just doesn't work out. And whether you go pro in Europe where there's a lot of money to be had, you do that and eventually hang it up. But reality is, is you can answer that question. So if you're a player like McGee, there is no level of doubt of that. Do I think he'll stick? I'd be doubtful. Just the raw size of Caleb Holmesley being taller than McGee in a league where you have to have that at certain points is a big deal. And yes, Darius McGee was Liberty's version of Steph Curry, but Steph Curry's what, 6'3", 6'4"? That's a lot different than Darius McGee, who's under six feet. And if you think those inches don't matter, you're talking about the NBA where it clearly does. And there is your Fast Five at 5 When we return in the Fast Lane, more on Jaron Stevenson, Darius McGee, and a rash of commitments for Virginia Tech football. Seems like they're gaining some momentum. All of that in part one of covering the Commonwealth. Next, here in the Fast Lane across the Virginia Talk Radio Network.